Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's a real pleasure to have you come this evening and a great pleasure to have uh, Andres Solimano with us this evening, uh, uh, a real expert on the question of inequality, uh, not only in Latin America, but as you will now hear um, in comparative perspective, which is relatively um, understudied, is looking at Latin America within a kind of broader comparative perspective. Very timely, too, because we are in a period when inequality has uh, come back onto the international agenda and when there's quite a lot of political mobilization around um, inequality. We, we, we hear talk now of the politics of inequality as new social movements are challenging um, uh, the sort of persistent kind of trends of uh, inequality in modern society. So um, a very timely um, uh, lecture from Andres. Um, you probably know that Andres uh, comes to us from the International Centre for Globalisation and Development in Santiago de Chile, uh, of which he uh, is the president and was the founder. And um, he has an, ec an economics uh, PhD from MIT and a long experience um, in the kind of World Bank and in the other international development agencies. He was country director at the World Bank executive director at the Inter-American Development Bank and regional advisor to UN and uh, ECLAC or CEPAL. His most recent books include Economic Elites, Crisis and Democracy. It was published by Oxford University Press and Chile and the Neoliberal Trap, published by Cambridge University Press. So you've been very uh, <laughs> sharing yourself amongst the two great institutions. So Andres, without further ado, I'll hand over to you, but let me first remind everybody that there will be a, a very nice wine reception after this, to which you're all invited, and the discussion will continue informally there. So thank you very much. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the kind introduction, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here at the Institute of the Americas of uh, University College of London. I haven't been here before, so it's... Uh, it's a nice opportunity, uh, very nice to be here uh, tonight. Well, my, the, the topic of my presentation will be uh, inequality in the Americas and international perspective. I will try to explain what is the, the meaning of, of the topic. Uh, uh, well, the, the agenda or, 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 or the, the main menu of the presentation is, uh, well, first to place uh, the Americas in general, we talk about inequality in Latin America because Latin America is uh, uh, one of the most, or perhaps the, the most uh, unequal region in, in the world in terms of levels, if you measure by the Gini coefficient or, or other uh, uh, ways to measure inequality. And here the idea was to take the Americas as a whole, also including North America, the US, Canada, uh, and uh, placing it in a in a global perspective, how the Americas stand in terms of inequality and uh, social divides vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, uh, let's say, Europe uh, or other regions in the world, or emerging economies in general, transition economies, post-socially post transition countries, etc. So I will talk a, a little bit about the. Uh, inequality and social structure, the, the, the sort of underlying social structure that is, I believe uh, is behind inequality, 
from an international perspective. Then turn to Latin America and North America, make some contrast that uh, uh, though Latin America is a, is a country, is, is a region with very high uh, indices of inequality, uh, official statistics, let's say uh, ECLAC, the United Nations Economic Commission for Latin America, or the World Bank, or the OECD, is showing declines in inequality in the last 10 years using household expenditure surveys, which mainly cap tend to capture more labor income than total incomes to some extent. And then compare this uh, trend to, to some decline or, or diminishing inequality in Latin America with the increase in inequality in the U.S. to make, uh, and some, some data on Canada, though, more focused on the U.S., showing some divergent path between uh, South Central America on the one hand and North America on the other. Then uh, I will discuss some, some, some data on uh, wealth concentration, because it's not exactly the same the distribution of income than the distribution of wealth. Okay, they're of course correlated concepts, but not not the same. The determinants are somewhat uh, different. Education, the labor market, wage setting, institution matter for income distribution, but for wealth distribution is more the property of uh, financial and physical assets, the saving capacity of uh, uh, of different groups, uh, the behavior of asset prices, etc. So to make a contrast between income and wealth distribution. Then to interpret, the, I will turn to some interpretation of, of, of the evidence, and then try to, to highlight what in my view would be uh, uh, some uh, measures or policies or eventually program to reduce inequality in Latin America, in other places of uh, the world. Well, uh, inequality, uh, well, first, uh, we see an increase, and we will show uh, some uh, graphs, some pictures on this, that there has been a, an increase in, in inequality in two main mature capitalist economies, like the US and the UK, and uh, increases in inequality in Russia and China, two big uh, former... China is a kind of strange case, because still the Communist Party in power is officially a communist state, but the economic, but the economic structure is more a kind of neo-capitalist, state capitalism, not easy to define, because of a policy of opening to foreign investment, quite controlled labor uh, market, labor movement, uh, and um, some features of a neo-capitalist, neo-socialist state. But I, I put together Russia and China as two big uh, post-socialist uh, transitions. In both, in the four countries, we see an increase in inequality. Uh, then, there's one feature. The other is that we see what I just said, the, a decline in labor income inequality in Latin America, but starting from a high level and uh, using uh, household expenditure surveys or household surveys. But if we look at the evidence from uh, tax returns, which has been collected by the, let's say, by the Paris School of Economics, Piketty and his uh, group, for a few countries in Latin America, not many, we see an increase in the share of the top 1% and top 10%. So there is some conflicting evidence between what the Gini say 
says, and the, and, and the top 1%. Then within the OECD, we have two Latin American countries in the OECD, Chile and uh, Mexico, plus the US, these are the most unequal countries within the OECD. So the Americas, if we compare the Americas with the, o the OECD, the few countries of the Americas that are in the OECD, let's say uh, US, Canada, Mexico, and Chile, they stand, except Canada, but the US, Mexico, and Chile stand on the high side in the OECD in terms of inequality. Uh, then, uh, some people have pointed out that global inequality, we should look at also not, not to, to paint a too gloomy uh, picture of inequality. We have to recognize also that there is some convergence in per capita incomes. Let's say uh, fast-growing countries like uh, China and India, in, uh, their GDP in terms of the GDP of the U.S. has been declining. So there is a process of convergence. So what I would say, uh, capture this area, is that uh, within countries, inequality has worsened in main economies, okay? Uh, but between countries, we have, can, we have a certain process of convergence. It's, uh, even Africa, uh, sub-Saharan Africa has been growing faster than Latin America in the last 10 to 15 years and closing the gap a little bit with the, with the advanced capitalist countries in North America and Europe but of course starting from a low level. But there is a tendency for the incomes to, to converge. That's on income, on inequality. Now if we consider also the social structure, the first approach is more the approach that economists like, uh, myself an economist, and probably I'm suffering the biases of being an economist, but uh, I think it's very important also to open to other perspectives and look at the social structure that is underlying uh, inequality, okay? Here, uh, the trends are for a strengthening of economic elites and the super-rich in, in many countries. Uh, I will show some data here. So that's a first trend I think is very important that matches more or less the concentration of income and wealth at the top, which is the strengthening of what we may call the economic elites. Uh, then, uh, a second feature is a fragmentation of the middle class. In several countries, particularly in countries that have been growing fast during the last 10, 15, 20 years or even more, uh, people uh, have left poverty and go to what may be called the middle class measure by income. There is a whole discussion of what is the middle class, whether income is a good measure for, for classifying people as middle class but uh, uh, that happened uh, in China. Uh, more than 300 million people in the last 30 years have left poverty as measured by poverty line. In India, another important percentage in Latin America, in Africa too, sub-Saharan Africa. But at the same time, we see a, a, a division within the middle class, between an upper middle class, professionals, um, managers, um, owners of medium-sized enterprises, and a traditional middle class that was tied to, let's say, to the state sector, school teachers, uh, staff from the ministries and public agencies. So we see some dispersion uh, within the, the middle class. So it's, that's a second trend that I, I would highlight in terms of social structure. And the, and the third trend would be uh, 
a weakening of uh, what may be called the traditional working class, the industrial working class, people living from a salary. Still, these concepts, they are problem of definition. Uh, some people say a CEO can be, is a working class person, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a high income working class because they, have, they are subject to a salary, they have a certain uh, features of what would be a, uh, a wage relation, but it's not what we mean by the working class, the traditional working class. Well, uh, we'll discuss some factors that are behind the weakening of the working class linked to, to the deunionization, the, the declining in the power of labor unions, uh, outsourcing of production, outsourcing of, of, of other uh, process of production, or, or, or the productive processes, uh, labor saving technical progress, immigration, very important for, for transport. Well, here some some numbers. The concept of economic elites is, is uh, we can make a correspondence between measurement and concept. Economic elites come from, you know, from the classic writers have been Pareto, Wilfredo Pareto wrote about elites, circulation of elites. Uh, the, the Italian school, uh, Mosca, Caetano Mosca, the ruling class or the ruling elite. Uh, Karl Wright Mills, the power elite, the economic elite, the military elite, the political elite. So it's, it's, it's a concept that has been around. And the idea is to match this concept of elites with some measurement of the shares of income and wealth, let's say the top 1%. The elite could be the 0.1%, or somebody could say the 5%, 3%. There's no exact measure. But this graph is showing that, let's say, in English-speaking countries, Australia, Canada, UK, New Zealand, Ireland, the US, starting from the mid-1980s to mid uh, to the mid-80s, uh, early 80s, mid-80s, we see a, a tendency more uh, sharpened uh, in the U.S. of an increase in the share of national income that goes to the richest 1%. We see that there are differences across countries. I'm not sure that this can be very easily uh, read, or, but uh, you get a sense that in the last 30 years, 25 years, the share of income going to the top one has been increasing. And there is a corresponding matching in terms of strengthening of the power of the rich and the elites. That, that's an important cause behind. Can I ask you on this? Yes. The, um, it's very common, particularly if you take the data from the US to see that wages have remained absolutely um, flat throughout yes. this period of accumulation. Yes. Yes. Um, is that, have you found that? Yeah, yeah, I will show, yes, I will show the data on the labor share, right, and the wages. I have data on wages too, but not here in the PowerPoint. Uh, but yes, yes, we see, I will show that there is a decline in the labor share, yeah. uh, concomitant with the increase in the share of going to the top 1%. Yes, yes. No, in the U.S., wages for the bottom 90%, uh, have stagnated in the last 20 years or so, 25 years. Yes, this is matching the shift. This is a, a regressive shift towards the, the upper part of the distribution of income or wealth, the one that has been taking place here. Then, 
I have a graph uh, correlating inequality on one here <coughs> in, the, in the bottom, the Gini coefficient in the horizontal axis, with a measure of the middle class, which is basically the proportion of the population that is between the third decile <coughs> and the uh, ninth decile. Let's say living outside the top 10% and the bottom 20%. So everybody that is neither rich nor poor is middle class. One definition in there. There's a lot written in the literature how to measure the middle class. Probably there will never be a consensus, but the, the reasonable definition is uh, by negation. Uh, those that are neither rich nor in the middle class. Well, when you, when there is uh, measures in terms of survey that people are asked, how do you classify yourself in terms of uh, which social group do you uh, belong? In general, 95 or 98% say I'm middle class. People is uh, embarrassed to say I'm rich. No, I'm very rich. Uh, I don't know. Or I am really poor. Some people say I'm poor, but not. not uh, in general, people feel more comfortable saying I'm middle class. But, so we see a, a negative relation between inequality and the middle class. The blue, the blue scatter diagram is for income, and the other is for uh, is for the red uh, dots are uh, for wealth. It's in Spanish riqueza and ingress. But uh, you see that the relationship is. is uh, you can R square of 0.9% and the other for income, and the R square is almost 0.5 for wealth. The relation is better for income than for wealth. It has more dispersion. You see the numbers around the, the line are higher by. And here, about the question uh, on the middle class, here I have a, a, a picture drawing from a. Uh, <coughs> It's ILO and there is a paper, I don't have the exact citation here, three authors that appear in the, in the quarterly journal of economics. Uh, US, Japan, China, and Germany, the labor shares, they say the share of, uh, of national income that goes to uh, labor, wages, salaries, uh, etc., compared to the, the, the proportion of income that goes to uh, capital. Uh, there is in between a group which is independent worker to self-employed people that receive are neither well they receive profits but they are not typically capital in terms of their owner of small shops or not small firms etc. But they can pay a salary to themselves. Some people put on the side of capital, other people put that on the side of labor. It's in between. But here is. Uh, labor in terms of wages, the share of wages, total wages, total paid labor, uh, wages in national income. You see a declining trend in, four, in the four main economies of the world in terms of economic importance, the US, Japan, China, former socialist country or socialist country, communist country, uh, it may vary, and Germany. The periods vary, the data, but in general the, the tendency, at least in the US, Japan and Germany, started from the mid-70s. From the mid-70s up to now, you see a, a gradual decline in the, in the share of uh, income that goes to labor. That squares with the idea that is a squeezing on the traditional working class or the working class as part of these three, uh, feature, uh, uh, three features of the, of, of the social structure. Well, here, uh, other... Uh, 
uh, I put uh, Gini coefficients for the US and the UK. Uh, the uh, black line is the UK and the gray line is the US. You've, you see an up, uh, a shift upwards in the Gini coefficient. The Gini coefficient is the most widely used measure of inequality. The Gini is not a perfect indicator in the sense that it's not very sensitive to, to changes at the top at the very top or at the bottom of the distribution, more sensitive to change at the middle of the distribution. So see, if there is a redistribution toward the top of the sort that we show in the previous picture, the Gini will capture it, but not in full force. The, 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 the property of the Gini is more sensitive to changes in the, in the middle than in the top. Uh, there is another index uh, uh, devised by the Chilean economist that uh, teach at Cambridge University, Gabriel Palma, the Palma Index is the top uh, 90 to 40, which is more sensitive to changes at the, in the top of the distribution than the Gini. But in general, they both to, they, they move together. Not exactly, uh, not, there is no 100% correlation, but uh, it's similar. But here you see, uh, from the, this tendency, well, in the UK, there is a leveling off after the, 19, the early 1990s in the U.S. in terms of inequality in the U.K. But there is a big jump starting from 78 to 1990 in the Gini coefficient. And then it levels off at a higher level. Whereas in the U.S., the, the increase in inequality starts earlier, let's say in the mid-60s, and continues more or less up to now. But there are two big uh, uh, mature capitalist economies that have seen an increase in inequality. The two of them have had a, what is uh, called the neoliberal revolution, free market revolution. Uh, Thatcher, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher here, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan in the US. And, this, uh, and they changed the, tra the structure of the economy in that direction. And then they came uh, democratic uh, governments in the US, Bill Clinton, here labor, etc. But inequality didn't recede. Didn't, didn't decline. That's, a, that's an important trend. Then in the two post-socialist countries, Russia and China, again, Russia at the, at the top uh, <coughs> left, the bar diagram, uh, a big jump in the late 80s uh, and the early 90s. The collapse of the socialist system and the rapid transition to capitalism. Russian-style capitalists, oligarchic, uh, mass privatization to former nomenclatura, a, a big concentration of income and wealth in small groups, a big differentiation in the social structure compared with the Soviet times, a, a very important change in inequality. And, and, and Russia now has a Gini coefficient over uh, 40%. And China also, an increase in inequality, very low in the mid-80s. Uh, around 30%, and now closer to 45, 46%. That's a big 16, 15 percentage point of the Gini. These are big, big jumps, not, not, not that easy. So four economies, four economies have, important economies have control. Well, let's see, let's see what happened with inequality in Latin America. Well, I will show a graph, but here, let's say, uh, we compare Latin America with the OECD at the world average, using data from the OECD and the World Bank for the genies 
and Credit Suisse. There is a very good publication, which is called the Global Wealth Report, produced by the Credit Suisse, which is a, it's a, commercial, it's a commercial bank, but they, they set up a research uh, outfit. And Professor Tony Shorox, uh, which is an international expert on wealth inequality, and uh, Jim Davis, Professor Jim Davis from Canada, uh, produced the report. They are, they are the intellectual uh, uh, fathers of the, of the report for wealth, okay? You know the difference between income and wealth. Wealth includes uh, stocks, uh, uh, bonds, financial assets, housing, uh, physical assets, etc. Usually wealth is more unequally distributed than income. You see the, the Gini coefficient for the OECD and for, for the world economy, unfortunately we don't have for Latin America, <laughs> uh, uh, is almost twice as large as the, the Gini for income, okay? Now, the interesting thing when we compare Latin America with the other regions, with the OECD and the world, is uh, two or three things. Well, inequality of gross income, let's say income generated in the market, or income generated before people are taxed or receiving uh, a subsidies, transfers from the government, the difference in, the, in, in Latin America is small. The, the Gini goes down from 53 to 49. Not a big difference. Before the action of the state as a redistributive uh, agent and after. I mean, the state doesn't make a big difference in terms of income distribution measured by the Gini comparing uh, gross and net or uh, uh, Gini for disposable income. Disposable income is income minus taxes plus transfers, plus some, some calculations include access to free public goods, also provided by the government, by the state. Whereas in the OECD, the number goes down from almost 47% to 31.6. The state, the government, makes a big difference in the, in, in the distribution of disposable incomes after the government has have taken income, uh, taxes and given transfers. That's a very important uh, 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 point. And here, one of the reasons for this is that the level of taxation in Latin America is much lower than the level of taxation in OECD countries. The level of taxation in Latin America has been increasing over time in the last 25 years, or close to 25 years, from near 15% in the early 19, in 1990 to 21.3%, total uh, uh, revenue from taxation. This includes in, in indirect taxation and, and, and direct taxation, whereas the number in the OECD is between 33 and 34%. So uh, the government collects uh, 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 a, a larger slice of the pie of, of, of income in taxes and therefore can redistribute it, can finance free education, free health services, public goods like roads, and, and give transfer to people, social policies that goes to the middle class and to, and to, the, to the poor, or to the poor. Uh, so the government receives a higher, uh, that's why we see a big difference between uh, the genie of disposable income and the genie for and here we take some individual countries, Chile, and compare with Korea, USA, Germany, Ireland, OECD. 
in general, we see uh, that, the G, that, that the blue uh, bar, or light blue bar, is uh, the Gini coefficient after taxes and transfers. And the uh, total, the number at the top, is the total Gini uh, gross before redistribution. And we see in, Latin, in Chile very little difference, almost very, very small between in 2009 2011 of the total anyway. But in Korea, it, the redistribution is not that large. In the US, it's larger, in Germany, it's larger, in Ireland, and the OECD also. Okay? So that shows the importance that plays the state here. Now, the point that I made at the beginning and that I want to underline here is that it's a complex story, story of inequality in the Americas. When we change Latin America and talk about the Americas, both comparing North America with Central South America and also within Latin America. Uh, I already showed that and here you have a graph. These are the, Gini, the blue lines are the Gini coefficient for the OECD, 34 countries of the OECD. Look at the countries that have higher Ginis, Mexico, Chile, and Turkey. Turkey is not Latin America, but it's a developing country belonging to the OECD. And then we have the U.S. Okay? The U.S. rank at the top among uh, high-income uh, OECD economies in terms of inequality. Uh, it's, uh, the level is higher in Turkey and Chile, which are the other, uh, and Mexico, which are the, are the other developing countries that belong to the OECD. So that's one feature. This is, this is a group of uh, Chile and Mexico developing middle income, upper middle income countries that belong to a club of, of rich economies, but they don't behave like the, the average of, the, of the, the group of rich economies because they have higher inequality than, than the rest. But the U.S., tend to share that feature too, 32. Well, the other part is that uh, if we compare Latin America with the US and Canada, again, within the Americas, differences within the Americas, we see that the, the Gini is more or less flat in Canada, lower inequality in Canada than the US. The light blue is Canada, the orange, or light brown is the U.S., and the bars stand for the Gini in Latin America. So starting in 2000, early, two, the, the first decade of the, two, of the 2000, the 21st century, we see a tendency for inequality to decline in Latin America, but we don't see that tendency, at least in the U.S., in Canada, somewhat, to decline at the end. Well, that makes for a contrast. Well, uh, the share of the top 1% in the America for four countries, this data, uh, there is a point that is important perhaps for you to keep in mind. There are two sources to calculate income distribution, at least two sources. Household surveys, where people go and ask you what is the level of income, how you distribute, what is the size of the family, how many income earners you have, etc., etc. Uh, and then you have uh, incomes from tax returns, the, 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 the returns that people file when they go and pay taxes to Internal Revenue Service or the Royal 
taxi, what's the name? HMSC. HMSC in the, in the UK. Well, that's an official, this is an official record. I mean, you, you make, um, it's an official declaration that you, if you don't reveal your uh, true income, you, I mean, there's a penalty or there is, you are, you are uh, breaking down the law. Uh, whereas in, in, in a household survey, somebody from the, the Statistical Institute come to your home and say, please, I am a, a, a surveyor. Uh, would you mind to spend half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, answering some questions? And there is no legal, legal obligation, first, to receive the person, and second, to, to, to disclose the true data. That is not a big problem except for high, high incomes. People of high income tend to under-report their income. They may shut down the door and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm preparing the, the, the meals. I cannot receive you if, if you go to the to mansion or uh, to the uh, house of somebody who is very rich. Say, I'm very sorry, but I prefer to decline to answer you. There's no problem. Nobody will find you or put you in jail uh, because not answering a, the, a survey. Whereas it's different for the data you disclose for the, for the tax authorities. So this data is, is, is coming from the tax authorities uh, uh, for Canada, Argentina, US, and Colombia. And that, that, this methodology has been followed by the, by the Paris School of Economics, the world top income database. You can come uh, back home after this, this seminar and say, well, I'm intrigued on this, and then download the data and, and check uh, uh, the countries. Uh, that are there, but in all tend, tend to be a tendency for income to go up the, 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 to the top, the, the top income <coughs> share to increase, an increase in, in, of inequality at the top. So we get a, a mixed a mix, uh, uh, story here. Look at, if you can read, <laughs> these are nine countries. The red line is the Gini coefficient and the, and the blue line is the GDP per capita. In all countries, using household surveys, uh, you see a, a tendency for, for the Gini to decline of different magnitudes, except in the last 10 years or so. So income, according to household surveys, is becoming more equally distributed in Latin America. But the share of, of income that goes to the top 1% increases for the country we have data, particularly from, from tax, the tax authority. So it's a mixed story. Don't, just, just to show that we cannot make a clear cut inference on what's going on on income distribution in Latin America. Some studies are using just a household service. I think it's very important to combine that with data from tax authorities. Well, here I, I put uh, the income share of the top 1% in Chile, my own country. And, and the estimates of two studies uh, give a number that can go from 15% to 33%, depending if you include capital gains and other statistical adjustments. But 33% is, is, is a world record. It's very, it's very, very high uh, for, a top, uh, for the income share of the top 1%. So in Latin America, we have countries with very high levels of concentration of income at the top. That is uh, one of the things they want. Okay, so that's... Well, let me now uh, consider Wealth. Well, wealth is more unequally distributed than income. So we want to get a general picture of what's going on with inequality in the Americas or in the world. We have to take these two, at least these two dimensions, income on one side, wealth on the other. 
we may be also interested in inequality of opportunities. Some people say, no, it doesn't matter if inequality of income is high, if opportunities are even. Everybody can go to a public school, can get, receive the same quality education, uh, have the same level of opportunities. In general, it's, it's very difficult to find a country with a very uh, democratic access to opportunities and very unequal, uh, a very equal distribution of unequal distribution of income or wealth. So, uh, but uh, just for you to keep in mind, income and wealth are indicators of outcomes. What happened after? Uh, it's the outcome of the economic process. Two variables. Opportunities also reflect more the social structure of a country, the policy, etc. The other two, but this, this is not the same. Well, wealth is more unequally distributed because not many people have the same opportunity to accumulate assets. To accumulate wealth, uh, wealth you build wealth by accumulating assets. The main asset for, 90, for the 95% of the population is housing. Okay? It's the only asset that people in the life cycle can accumulate, can be an owner. Even housing, which is more, more equally or more democratically distributed than financial assets, is not completely egalitarian, the distribution of housing. The bottom 40% in many countries uh, have uh, no housing. Uh, they are not owners. Or they may have a, ha a home but they have a big mortgage, like in the U.S. and other countries that, that suffer from the, from the mortgage uh, crisis. And, uh, and, uh, so uh, wealth tends to be more unequally distributed than income. But the fact is that uh, here I ask what has happened in the last, let's say, before the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, uh, comparing a set of countries, the wealth share of the top 10%, top decile on the left-hand side of the, of the chart, and then the percentage change of the wealth share of the top 1%. 10%, some people will say, is rich, is upper middle class, the rich. And top 1% is, is, is the 1% is the rich. And we compare 2000 and, 2000 and 2008, one period, with 2008 to 2014, another period. Okay. And we see that, that important increases in wealth in, in the share of the top 1% uh, have taken place in countries like Argentina, 60%. In Brazil, 18%. In <coughs> Chile, 27%. In Czech Republic, 35%. In France, if I read well, 16%. Thank you. In Italy, 25.4%. In the UK, 12.5%. It's not a minor shift, considering that these are post-crisis or crisis period. It's 2008 and 2014. Uh, in, in economies that have suffered the, the financial crisis, there has been a shrinking of gross domestic product, a shrinking, uh, losses of employment, uh, losses of uh, uh, social benefits for many people. But income going to the top wealth, to the top 1% wealth, the value of wealth has increased. This is a very... Here, I put the, the top wealth share in austerity countries, countries that have undergone austerity policy, particularly the bottom part, 
the European periphery, Greece, Italy, Ireland, Portugal, and Spain. Look at, look at uh, uh, Greece. The, 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 wealth, the, share, the wealth share of the top 1% in Greece in the period 2008 and 2014 increased by 41.5%, whereas gross domestic product in Greece uh, has shrink, shrunk for near 27%, 28%. So the size of the cake has declined. There has been an uh, employment crisis in Greece uh, youth unemployment climbed to near 60%. This country has been almost destroyed economically, but uh, the super-rich has increased their, their, their wealth share. That's very telling. Uh, Italy. Italy didn't suffer the same austerity medicine than Greece. Some people, including the austerity country, and austerity. Italy is always Italy, not easy to classify. But still, the very rich in Italy has been doing very well in the last six, seven years, 25%. Spain, other country that has undergone austerity policy from the IMF, from the European Central Bank, from the Troika, also an increase in their wealth share. So we see that. In Latin America, well, in the top, in the core economy, here it's core economy, Canada, France, Germany, etc., and then European periphery. We see an increase in France, which is usually a country relatively egalitarian, under different indicators, 16%, and the UK, 10.5% in the UK. It's not a minor. The source of the data is the Global Wealth Report. You can check it, it's there, you can see other countries, etc. So we see a tendency for wealth to increase, the wealth concentration to increase in Argentina, in Brazil, and Chile. In uh, Greece, Spain, and Italy, and also in countries like Poland, you mentioned Czech Republic, France, and the United Kingdom. So the picture, the, wealth, the, the picture for the distribution of wealth is much more dramatic, I think, than the picture for the distribution of income. That's an important point when you want to analyze inequality. Well, let me say a few words on summary and, and, and interpretation. To, try to give some interpretation of this mass of data and trends. Well, as I said, Inequality has gone up in US, UK, Russia, and China. Probably the, the reasons are different between the two sets of countries, but some trends may be common. All economies, all, all these four economies, moved to more, toward more free market policies in the last 25, 30 years. Uh, the, the change, of course, was much more radical in Russia than in the other countries because there was a collapse of communism. Uh, the, the, the Yeltsin government decided to apply mass privatization, but mass privatization was intended that a, 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 any citizen of Russia and the former Soviet Union could get a more or less equal slice of the assets. All the assets were owned by the state. Okay? But what happened is that, that the, the, the former directors of, of, of state-owned enterprise privatized the asset to themselves. So they created a new economic elite which is called the, the, the Russian oligarchs, that replaced the old elite, which was the communist nomenclatura. The communist nomenclatura, the, the communist nomenclatura were, they were not rich. I mean, they, perhaps they had a dacha, a house in the countryside, but not a mansion. They could have a car, they could have better food, but they were not super rich. They, were not, they didn't have the level of wealth that the new oli Russian oligarchs have now. But so... I think privatization is an important part of the story. 
of why uh, wealth and income went to the top. Uh, China also has privatized assets, uh, not of the same sort of in Russia or Central Europe, but also privatization played an important role. The other that was important in the US and the UK, I think, was the uh, cut in, in top in marginal uh, income tax rates. Okay? In the 70s, uh, top income uh, rates in the UK, if I'm not mistaken, were close to 75, 80%. In the UK, in the US, were around 70%. Now they are close to 40%. So there, there was a decline in top income shares in the two countries. Okay? That's another. The other is the, an explosion of salaries of CEOs and top managers. That has been very well doc documented. I don't have the data here, but salaries uh, uh, and, and compensation uh, schemes for the, for the top ma managers of companies uh, have uh, exploded. I think these three causes are important in this uh, in the story of the shift of income to the top in, this, in these countries. Uh, China and Russia, we don't have the same uh, level of the data for, at least myself, it's not that easy, to find data of remunerations and, and compensation packages for, for managers of Russian companies or <coughs> Chinese companies, as you can uh, have in the US and the UK because it's public information. But, in the other, but evidence, uh, informal evidence, seems to show that trend also in Russia and China. Latin America, on the other side, we have seen a decline in inequality, in labor inequality, measured by the Gini coefficient calculated with, from household survey data. Why? Well, that's an interesting question. Still starting from a high level. Gini is over 50%, but a decline. I would say uh, more rapid GDP growth. Economic growth in Latin America, if we believe the data of household surveys, has been pro more equitable in the last 10 to 15 years. Not completely equitable, uh, but probably growth has helped improve income distribution. There's a whole discussion whether growth is pro-rich, pro-non-rich, is uh, inequality neutral, pro-inequality, pro-equality. There's a whole discussion on this, but, but the evidence in Latin America so far seems to show in that direction. The other thing that some social policies have paid off in the sense that improving incomes at the bottom of the distribution. Uh, Latin America bought very much on the, this targeted social policies. The Bolsa Familia in Brazil, Chile Solidario in Chile, uh, Oportunidades in Mexico, and that after 10, 15, 20 years of application improved the income at the bottom. Perhaps the dispersion, it's not close to completely dispersion of income, but perhaps that has helped. Also education premium, uh, the wage that's due to differential in education show that has declined. The education is paying off by the expansion of university education, reducing wage gaps uh, between professionals and non-professionals. That seems to be operative. But, but the, the big but uh, is qualification in Latin America is that the level of tax collection is too low and impairs any serious redistribution of, of income. That's why the Gini of uh, gross income and disposable incomes are very similar, okay? The rich in Latin America or the economic elite in Latin America block systematically any redistribution of income. They don't want to pay, I mean, the proportion of direct income, income that's taken from, 
the taxes are taken from the, from income, not indirect taxes, not value added, no tax on 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 oil, on gasoline, on on uh, beverage or tobacco, but taxes that are direct direct income. Uh, the the rich really doesn't want to pay, is powerful enough, and blocks any restitution. That doesn't happen in the OECD, apparently. That's a very important difference. Uh, Well, in austerity countries, I mean, I think we still deserve more analysis of why wealth has, has increased, the share of wealth to the, going to the very rich uh, has increased in countries like Greece or Spain. What happened in between? Perhaps some hypothesis that, that uh, uh, the recession, the stagna economic stagnation, etc., didn't hit asset prices as hard as, let's say, housing prices. So housing, perhaps, uh, there was a collapse in housing prices, and the middle class owns housing as a main asset, whereas share prices, the price of bonds, perhaps have not suffered that much. Even if you look at the data in the UK or in the US, in the last six years, there has been a very strong recovery in share prices. The Financial Times Stock Exchange Index has increased in spite that the economy has not been doing uh, spectacularly well in terms of growth. So perhaps asset prices are, 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 are behaving in a different way, and that show up in wealth distribution. The other is that the, the, the people with, with liquidity, with money, can buy assets at a very low price in a recession, okay? And they get accumulate uh, wealth. So perhaps you are laying off people in the public sector, you are cutting salaries, you are cutting social benefits, but other people that have money and liquidity can buy assets. The, all, the, the program negotiated with Greece by the IMF and the European Central Bank, it's, I mean, privatization, the creation of a big privatization fund is an important cornerstone of the program. They have to deposit in Luxembourg or some country a fund, $60 billion as a, as, as a guarantee for the loans to be paid. If, if Greece decides not to pay the loan, the, the, the Troika can go and take the assets of the, of, in theory, at least what was signed by the European Parliament, by the Greek Parliament, the Greek Parliament. They can take, they can say, well, okay, I will, I will sell off the, the telecommunication company, the national TV, or the factories are still owned by the state, because it's a, a collateral for the money that was given as an emergency funding. That, that uh, can be devastating in terms of wealth distribution, concentration at the top. Well, that is, well, Finally, not to take more of, your, of the time, uh, what we can do to, re to reduce inequality in Latin America, in North America, worldwide? It's a very big question. I will highlight a few things, but it's a big discussion. Uh, I'm not sure that it's possible <laughs> in the short run without uh, a big change in other. It's not just an economic problem, but what I would say here, what to do? Oh. Well, first, recognize that inequality is a problem, because some people say inequality is not a problem. What is a problem is poverty, uh, but differences between income, uh, between economic groups or social segments in income is not what really matters. What really matters is that people can, uh, is able to, to access to food, to transportation, to housing, and the social gaps are not that important. I believe that the social gaps are very important and are correlated with poverty too. But, uh, but the first point I, I would say in a, is to recognize by governments, by public opinion, the social consensus that something has to be done to reduce inequality. I think it's very important because 
we can uh, entertain ourselves devising policies that reduce inequality. Uh, 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 but if people, uh, uh, the population doesn't feel that that is necessary and, and therefore governments don't want to redistribute income, don't want to reduce inequality, we're not going to uh, be so uh, very far. I think there's a change of, as I said, one of the problems of the neoliberal period of the last 20 years, 25 years, is that convinced people, the, the new common sense or neoliberal common sense was that inequality was not a problem. That has been changing and we can see in the elections in the US, I don't know perhaps it was an important topic in, in the election here in May, uh, but in other countries in Spain, uh, with the rise of Podemos, with the platform, anti-austerity platform, Syriza government, the Syriza government won the election and the referendum with an anti-austerity <coughs> platform. The thing now is, is that uh, the creators didn't allow them to, to apply it, but, but, but the platform is. So in some countries this is changing, but you need a recognition is a problem and a develop, a develop a consensus that is needed. Well, the other very important point is provided a certain consensus has been built that, that economic restitution and social restitution is necessary. The point is how to do it. It's a very, very, very important. How to manage restitution, both politically and economically. Okay? Economically, how to detect instruments to reduce inequality. Politically, how to build a social consensus that the economic elite will not block you any redistributive move. The economic elite, the creditors block any anti-austerity policy in Greece and say, well, okay, if the Greek government doesn't want to sign, we stop the, the, the liquidity line and the Greek banks will go bankrupt. So the, the, the Syriza government say, well, do I want my banks bankrupt and people lose their money, or should I do, find an accommodation with their... So that's, that's a, is a more extreme case, a country that, that has big debt and, and very limited degrees of freedom to reduce it. But other countries that are in a less dramatic situation have to build, uh, have to, uh, I believe, mobilize uh, the middle class, the working class, or the non-rich, even part of the rich, in favor of some redistribution, some redistribution. I'm not saying radical redistribution, but some redistribution. The other thing that helps is keep the uh, is to keep the economy growing, because distributive conflicts. If the, the size of the cake increases, the distributive conflict is less serious than if, if, if the economy is stagnating or shrinking. So it's very important to keep economic growth go, uh, going. Uh, the threat, of course, is that since this economy has become so much privatized, uh, 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 the, the, invest, the investing class, the economic, the economic elites, may say, okay, I don't like this policy, it's top investment. So therefore, the economy will not grow, and government will face uh, stagnation as stagnation as equilibrium if he wants to pursue policies of some redistribution. So it's very, it's uh, it's a delicate equilibrium here. Well, other practical things you know, from the economic point of view: direct taxation is too low in Latin America as a share of gross domestic product. We we saw the number we compared. OECD with Latin America, but also the share of direct taxes on total taxation is much lower there. So the rich doesn't want to pay taxes, income taxes, 
So, uh, but also you see here floating uh, uh, Piketty, Thomas Piketty, and other people are putting forward the idea that there should be uh, an increase in top marginal income taxes in countries like France, the US, the UK, uh, I don't know, Germany, or in Scandinavia are higher than in, in continental Europe, but, uh, but still they say, well, let's reverse part of the Thatcher Reagan tax decline, okay? Easier to say than to do it, but, but uh, well, it's a proposal. Uh, wealth taxes is an, is an issue. Inheritance taxes, tax on financial transactions has been in and out the discussion on this. Okay, another point is very important that uh, there is a new book, uh, I don't remember the name, a guy that is, was a student of Piketty on uh, missing wealth. The issue of tax evasion and tax havens. It's very important to do something with with this. I mean, if people take the assets out of their country, they don't disclose it, of course, there will be an erosion of tax revenue for the government. Do something with that. I think in, increasing income taxation should be international, in the sense, because otherwise people will leave the low tax country, the high tax country, go to the low tax country. Should be some harmonization. Uh, well, universal social policies are, are another issue. Well, I added this democratic public ownership versus privatization. We can discuss in the conversation what, what <coughs> we mean by that. But uh, I think inequality can be reduced. It will not be simple. You have the political challenge. You have a, I don't know, ideological or conceptual challenge. And you have an economic challenge at the same time. You have to find the right economic instruments to do it. But also you have to look for political feasibility to do that. It's not that, that simple. But I feel that there is a, a, a more re, higher reception among people in elections to treat the inequality issue that was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, I will stop here and then. Okay. Thank you very much, Andres.